Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you this evening. We've got uh, a couple of great professionals uh, going to be joining me here in just a moment here on the Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined... Uh, by my good friend and professional golf instructor, Barry Goldstein, is going to be joining me on the second half of the show. He hasn't been on for a while, and his uh, daughter, uh, Carly uh, Ray Goldstein, is going to be joining us as well. Uh, and she has uh, won over 100 tournaments, uh, many amateur uh, events uh, here in the United States and literally around the world. And uh, she uh, was a player with the uh, LSU Tigers uh, while she attended the university on their golf team and had a great, uh, a great run there as well. So she's going to join us for a few minutes, and then uh, Barry and I are going to take some calls uh, from some folks as well. So, um, but glad you could join us. Don't forget to tune in live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network, and uh, we'll have some other great ways that you can tune into the show as well at the end of the show in the closing credits. All right, let me introduce tonight's panel, and then we'll get uh, started with uh, this evening's discussion. All right, joining us uh, here, uh, this is his first time in a while, uh, Brandon Stukesbury. He is the head golf professional at the historic Metairie Golf Club outside of New Orleans. He's also an Amazon number one best-selling author of two books, The Wedge Book, which was released in 2015, and The Putter Book, uh, which was just released this year uh, at uh, Amazon as well. Uh, over the last 10 years, he's been ranked among the top 10 teachers in his state by Golf Digest and was part of the magazine's elite best young teachers list. Uh, he's a three-time PGA Teacher of the Year and a regular contributor in golf media around the world. Uh, also joining uh, on the show tonight on the panel is Jamie Leno-Zimron, a Class A LPGA teacher professional. She's also a six-degree Aikido black belt, a somatic psychologist, corporate speaker, and mind-body fitness trainer and also a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Stanford University, and she's also the creator of Kiai Golf, The Centered Way. So please welcome, joining the panel tonight, Brandon Stukesbury and Jamie Leno-Zimron. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ted. Always happy to be here, and uh, it's going to be fun tonight. I'm happy to be here with uh, Brandon as well. Thank you. All right. Ted, you didn't I, tell I, me I was going to be coming on with a karate expert and a psychologist <laughs> all in one. I'm way undergunned for tonight. Yeah, I, I hear you. I'm I'm in the same boat. But now Jamie's a lot of fun. She's a, a sweetheart and just a, a wealth of knowledge as well, and just a, a great. Uh, been on a show many many times over the years, and and one of one of my favorite panelists here on the Coach's Corner. All right. So so as I was mentioning to you guys just off air just a few moments ago. 
we're going to tackle the short game. Uh, I know we've talked about this uh, in the past shows, uh, but we're going to talk about it from a little different perspective. And um, we're going to tackle some of the, the various different areas, maybe talk about some of the myths that a lot of people hear out there and get, uh, sort of get them debunked, if you will, here, uh, and, and maybe uh, hopefully throw in a few tips along the way to help the listeners out there uh, really dial in on their short game this season as we begin the summer uh, months and, and uh, everybody, particularly up in the northeast and northwest, are starting to get out and, and get out on the golf course here the last several weeks. Um, they're going to need some help, and this is a great area if you want to go low this summer. This is the area of your golf game that you really want to dial in, as I said. So um, I'm going to go ladies first here. Jamie, I'm going to start with you, and I, I want to talk about chipping because there's a, there's a lot of do's and don'ts, and, and one here that I, I, I think a lot of people – uh, we see on, on the practice tee, if you will, or out in the driving range uh, that, are, that are working on their chipping. There's a lot of things that they're, uh, certainly some of them are doing right and some of them are not so right. And I want to specifically talk about this area right here and about the engagement of the lower body uh, when you're chipping. We see a lot of people get very, uh, you know, flippy, if you will, in the lower body and, and sliding and this and that in the chipping. And chipping is much different, obviously, than pitching. We're going to talk about that as well. Um, but how do we engage the lower body uh, with our chip, or do we? What a great question. I was just jotting down a couple of notes as you were talking, and exactly what you're referring to. Um, you know, Ted, I'm a big advocate of the lower body and being present in our lower body and how to use our lower body. And interestingly, in chipping, we don't want to have much movement in the lower body. It's like cutting, actually. Um, I think it's important to kind of lower into your belly, get that kind of heaviness in the center that connects you down into a lot of presence in your legs and feet. So that keeps you grounded. And then you want to stay still um, in chipping, very much like cutting. Um, you know, <clears throat> here I'm a professional, and I always have a problem that some amateurs and some of your listeners may have in differentiating between a chip and a, a pitch. And I learned how to never forget from some of my junior golfers. And they said, chipping is like a chipmunk. It stays low to the ground. Whereas mm -hmm. pitching is like pitching a tent. You've got that little high, you know, arc of the shot. So <clears throat> if you think about uh, keeping it low to the ground and running the ball, um, and it's a short shot, right? So um, it's really interesting to watch. You can watch on TV when the cameras give a close-up or not of uh, the tour pros when they're doing a little chip right, you know, off the side of the green, not up in the air. You want to keep it low, let it run. The usual rule is one-third, two-thirds. Get it on the green about a third of the way, let it run uh, the rest of the way. And if you really watch closely, you'll see that uh, there's no movement in the feet, okay? There's not a big weight transfer. It's really very much like a, uh, a putt with a slightly lofted club. So that may be a seven or eight iron uh, pitching wedge, what you like to, to work with, and it depends where the pin is, how much green you've got to work with. But the idea is pretty much just a little, um, you know, back and through with the shoulders and not a lot of wrist hinge and no movement in the, in the lower body. And so that you have kind of a, kind of a putting motion and that little loft in the club lets you get over the long grass to get on the green as opposed to if you tried to putt it through that long grass. That's why we've got to do a chip, right? Use a, um, you know, use a wedge or use a, an iron to, to do the chip shot. 
So, um, yeah, that's what I would say about the lower body. It really, you want to be present so that you're stable and you're not swaying, as you say, sliding and swaying, just really down there on your feet, keep everything steady, and just that kind of back and through, nice metered out motion um, without wrist hinge. And, and the loft of the club will just pop it over the long grass. But it's pretty much like a, a putt in that sense. Yeah, I, uh, well said. Um, Brandon, I want to uh, stick with chipping for a second, and I want to uh, ask you in a little bit different fashion um, about chipping um, because we see a lot of different types, and obviously everybody, every golfer is different, and we certainly want to be flexible to a point. But there are some, certain things that we, we want to make sure that we get right if we're going to be an effective chipper. And one of the areas is, is uh, ball position. You know, where do we place the ball? Um, you know, do we have our feet close together? Or are they a little further apart? Uh, what generally sets you up um, for the most uh, success when chipping? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's a great question, Ted. Um, I, you know, I, I would say if I were to boil it down at setup, there's probably maybe three things that I would tell you. The, the, the stance width is directly related to the size of the swing. And so if it's going to be a small motion like a chip shot would be, then you're going to have a very narrow stance. And why, the way I would define narrow is think about if you were to just take a fist and put it between your heels, like that's how narrow I'm talking about, right? And so very narrow, just two, three, four inches max between your feet and width. Um, the second thing I would tell you is if you want your spine, if you think about a, a letter T made up of your spine and then the horizontal piece across your shoulders, you want that to be very upright. You don't want it to be tilted very much. Now, that's the antithesis of what we do and what we want in a full swing, but it's a very different type of setup in short game. You want your spine very upright and tall as opposed to tilted and leaning. The ball position is probably the most different from a lot of what you read and hear in the short game. You know, and, and, and when, you, when, you, when you hear people talk about chipping, you, you talk about lower trajectory, you know, hitting it low, delivering a lot less loft. Well, there's a few different ways to do that. Unfortunately, a lot of people advocate and teach that the ball needs to be in the back of your stance and that you need to be leaning the handle of the club very much forward. And don't get me wrong, those things will take loft off the golf club, but that's not the only way to take loft off a golf club. There's a way to take loft off a golf club that doesn't bring you the danger that the ball back and the forward shaft bring into, into play, which is the leading edge kind of dragging and getting caught in the, you know, in the dirt. And so my, I usually will advocate a ball position that's in the middle or perhaps even a ball forward of the middle and using less loft, uh, meaning instead of chipping with a sand wedge with the ball off your back foot, leaning the handle forward and delivering, you know, turning a 56-degree wedge into a 52-degree wedge, hypothetically, because you're leaning the handle forward, I would put the ball in the middle and just use a gap wedge. And so I would deliver neutral shaft instead of forward shaft, get the same loft, but way better interaction with the sole of the club. That's a lot different from the way a lot of people teach chipping. Um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the other way. I'm just saying sometimes it can be harder to do. So I would say if you do those three things right from a setup standpoint, you're, you're on your way. 
Yeah, I see a lot. What you just to go back to what you said there. We we see a lot of golfers placing the ball way back in their stance, leaning that shaft forward. And a lot of times what ends up happening is they kind of dig right into the ground. They're not actually making the because I think they've got to do that in order to make good ball uh, contact, ball club face contact. And a lot of times they end up just sticking the club face uh, into the into the turf and not coming out. Or they end up, you know, if they're not uh, making a, a good solid stroke. Uh, and again, it's not a full stroke, but it's just, uh, again, as Jamie pointed out, more like a putting stroke. Um, a lot of times what you get is they end up hitting it thin and, you know, the ball goes skating across the, the green. So, you know, setup is very, very important. And I think also understanding, as Jamie pointed out, that, you know, the ball is, we, we want to keep it lower. We want to get it rolling like a putt very quick. We want to get it over that initial fringe or, or edge uh, of the green where the grass tends to be a little thicker and, and longer and get it onto the putting surface where we know we're going to get a much better roll um, a lot quicker. So setting up is, is obviously important and obviously execution of the shot is, is important as well. So those are just a, a couple of things that, uh, that I wanted to make sure we got out there because I think a lot of people really misunderstand that. I think you both did a great job. Jamie, I'm going to come back to you. and We're going to switch now. Uh, now we're going to get that ball a little bit higher up in the air. We're going to talk about pitching and maybe you can touch on some common mistakes that golfers make uh, when pitching. Uh, and, and one of them is, is and again, I want to just preface this, that, that everybody is different, so some, what might work for some might not work for somebody else. Um, but, but go ahead, give us some, some, just a general idea of some things that you've experienced, uh, some common mistakes that you see a lot of players making uh, when trying to pitch the ball this time. Well, the Probably the biggest mistake I think most of us would agree is this idea of helping it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we got to help it get up in the air and so, or scoop it. And the way that that manifests in terms of what people do is they may sort of bend their knees to get down and then sort of try to scoop with the hands and lift up. And so our bodies go up, but the ball doesn't. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so it's kind of counterproductive when we try to scoop it. And there, I think people need to understand that the wedges are built to pitch with, to get the ball up in the air, to make that little tent, right, <laughs> that pitch. Um, so it's mm-hmm. got that, uh, you know, up in the air and down, and it'll land softly. Uh, the, and the club is designed to do that. That's why we have loft at 54, 56, 58, 60, even, you know, if you're Phil, or those, you know, you might try 64. We don't, we don't really need that much help. If you let the club swing properly and properly has to do in a pitch shot with there's a little bit of a steeper uptake um, in in the swing so for example a driver is a long shaft and it's a wide sweeping motion uh, to generate the kind of club head speed for distance but that's not what we're looking for here in a pitch shot we're looking much more for accuracy for touch um, so the ball can land softly or even with some spin on it and uh, so we want to take the club back with a little bit more, a little steeper, meaning the wrist hinge happens more quickly. And to me, I always think of a pitch, okay, pitch the tent, but pitch it like a little faucet um, up there. So if a good practice for me is to toss it like uh, tossing a ball, right? If I was just going to toss the ball to say um, to, to second base, right? And there's a little action of the back knee, 
the back heel and the back knee. And so to bring the club down, take it back a little steeper, a little wrist hinge, and then just kick in a little bit with that back knee and like you're going to toss the ball up there. And I always have the feeling of the club face is like my hand. And so if I feel the club face like tossing the ball, the way my hand would toss the ball, same body motion, a little bit of that back knee uh, kicking in. I think setup is important as well. And so to me, the way to set up, I like actually the way Dave Pels describes it. He puts the ball right in the middle of your stance and then just kind of turn on your heels, turn your toes towards the target. When you do that, what will happen is your hips have already cleared the line. All right, so they're out of the way. That way we can just swing the club along the line straight to the target and let the club just kind of come right under the ball with that little action of our knee like we would toss and then the club face comes down clips the ball really nicely the design of the club with the loft built in naturally lofts the ball we don't have to help it we don't have to scoop it and then you just want to extend the club right down the line and you're right on target the ball is going to just pop up land on the green roll right out to the out to the hole and if we could all just do that as easily as you just <laughs> described, we would have ourselves won the PGA Championship instead of Phil. Um, Brandon, I want to I talk about pitching with you because I know that that's an area of your expertise. Obviously, you, you wrote a, a book on wedges, and, and obviously the short game is, is something that's important to you. And I want to ask you really two parts to pitching. Um, a couple of things. I'd like for you to talk a little bit about the bounce of, of the wedges and the role that it plays and what people should look out for or what rather they should consider when selecting the wedge for them, depending on the, the lie and the circumstance. Maybe give us a couple of examples, maybe a tight lie and a little fluffier lie, what club might be a better option given the bounce. And then the other thing, too, that we, we often hear is when we're, we're pitching particularly is – that I need to swing in the follow-through the same distance as my backswing. So as an example, if it's a shorter pitch shot and I'm only going halfway back, then my follow sh- uh, follow-through should only be halfway through. Um, is that a myth? Is that true? Give us your thoughts. Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll try to start with uh, – ask me, ask me the first – half of that question again okay yeah so what i what i'd like for you to do is to talk about this is an area that a lot of golfers don't understand we obviously have you know we're pitching the ball there we might be lucky and be in the middle of the fairway where it's a flatter uh lie and a more tight lie or we might be off in the in the rough where it's a little fluffier and the bounce of the club can play a, a role here obviously in a tight lie we don't want something necessarily with with a lot of bounce or we're going to be skipping off so talk about the bounce and when and where it's appropriate uh, during a pitch shot for a different you. type of lie. Got that? Does it make it sense this time? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So, so here's the mistake that most people make when it comes to bounce, and and, and you you actually just described it because mo- most people approach bounce as the condition dictates the bounce meaning if it's soft, I need to use this. If it's firm, I need to use this. If it's tight, I need to do this. If it's fluffy, I need to do that. That's not really how it ought to work. Bounce should match 
your technique. Let me say that again. The, wet, the, 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 the type of technique you employ, another way to say that would be the style of wedge play that you have and how your club interacts with the ground determines the bounce you need. Now, that bounce can work on any type of lie or condition, meaning I can hit a club with high bounce off tight lies or fluffy lies. I can hit a club with very little bounce off tight lies or fluffy lies or anything in between. The bounce goes with your technique, not the condition. So that's a big myth out there, right? And, and, and there's a lot of reasons why I think that myth exists. Uh, you know, I think sometimes the major manufacturers try really hard to come up with a way to help people decipher all the different kinds of bounces that they offer. And it fits into a nice little box when you tell people if you are a digger, then you need X. If you are a sweeper, then you need Y. Um, and that's not necessarily untrue. Make no mistake, that's not inaccurate information, but it makes people think that if you play on tight lies all the time, then you need a certain kind of bounce, or if you, if you play on soft and fluffy lies, you need another kind of bounce. And it's just not true. You need the bounce that matches your technique, depending on how the club interacts with the ground. And so that may not be the answer you were looking for, but, mm-hmm. but, but that's, that's how I would answer that question. The second part okay. of the question is a little bit about teaching style. Now, personally, I will teach that, meaning I would like to see a follow-through and a backswing that are the same relative length because I teach a finesse wedge shot, and I emphasize finesse wedges, usually inside 40 yards for most folks, with the same type of rhythm and tempo that I would teach a putting stroke. So if you think about a metronome, the little thing that sits on top of a of a piano and ticks back and forth, you know, the tick-tock and it swings mm-hmm. back and forth, or you think about a pendulum swinging, that's the tempo and the rhythm I want in finesse wedges. If you have a shorter backswing, or excuse me, a longer backswing and a shorter through swing, then you slowed the club down too soon, meaning it was off rhythm. If you have a longer follow-through than you do backswing, then you over-accelerated the club through impact. If you have something that's very similar on one side or the other, then you have very even tempo, much like that metronome ticks and tocks or a pendulum swings, and that tends to work way better for most people in terms of distance control and feel. Um, And so that's how I would answer that question. People teach you lots of different ways. You know, some people teach Dave Fells very much teaches uh, a full follow-through on just about any wedge shot. Um, and there's reasons for that, and that's not bad information. Uh, my particular style just happens to teach it the other way. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is up to the individual and obviously what works. But, uh, again, you, you raise some very interesting points. And, uh, again, it's, it, it's something that each individual player has to really assess themselves uh, again, you know, there is no sort of try and true. You know, obviously there are always certain fundamentals in golf that we want to adhere to, um, but there's always room for flexibility and adjustment uh, to suit your individual game. And again, this is where you want to get and work with a teach professional that 
gets and learns and understands what your style of play is and works towards that as opposed to trying to put you into a box that maybe is not going to be best suited for your game. So great answer again, guys. Uh, and again, I, yeah. I, I want to – sorry, go ahead, Jamie, real quick. Yeah, Ted, I wonder if I could uh, – if you wouldn't mind if I um, just kind of add a little bit and echo uh, what Brendan said there. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. Uh, and, yeah, so um, we were talking about kind of um, matching, having the same length uh, back and through the ball. And um, I, I really agree with that. Um, and the way I talk about it is uh, that uh, every good shot should add up to 100. And what I mean by that is 100 is a nice round number, but if you think 50 back, 50 through, yeah? And uh, mm-hmm. we, sometimes it's classically talked about, you know, go to 3 o'clock, come to 9 o'clock or whatever. I don't do so well with the with – the, um, cloth thing but for me it's kind of like well if I take my club back to ankle height bring it through ankle mid mid calf forward mid calf up to my back knee to same height my forward knee uh hip to hip okay elbow or you know mid mid chest mid chest shoulder shoulder but to match them up and um I even like to say uh say 48 52 48 back 52 or 45 55 max as Brandon was saying you don't want to have too much on the follow through because then you're going to have too much acceleration but you want to be sure you're having a little of acceleration and when I say adds up to 100 what I mean is um and, and it's uh, what when you was talking about as well um it's interesting to kind of assess your shot uh your putt especially on uh, short shots putts and short shots uh, and uh assess was that like, say, you took it back 70, and then inside you went, oh, no, that's too much, and then you decel, <laughs> you take it through 20. So then you got a 90, right? Or you take it back right. 70, and then you try to kill it, and you went 90. Well, that's 160, you know? Um, and it's interesting to see kind of what you've done. You take it back 30, and you go inside, oh, I really got to hit it, so now you got 3080, and you're at 110, right? Um, so it could be add up to more or less but also out of proportion. So it's that pro- right. uh, proportion ratio. It's like, you know, 80-20, that's a D-cell, that, or 20-80, that's too much X-cell. So it's uh, adding up to 100, but with that balance. And, you know, I like to kind of use my body. That, that I can use to meter out how far the putter stroke goes or how far that chip uh, short shot goes. So I just wanted to um, kind of, um, it's just sort of my way of saying basically what Brandon was saying, which yeah. I really, really agree with. Yeah, I, I, I agree as well uh, with both. Um, all right, we're going to move on to putting. Um, putting is, is one, and, and Brandon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you this time here um, because I think this is an area, and I know you talked about this when you came on my show a few weeks ago. You talked about this when you were um, you know, mentioning some things in your book. And I like to, you know, to maybe create uh, what I call benchmarks uh, for successful putting, you know, as opposed to just going there and, and, you know, throwing down three or four balls and just, you know, putting them around. Uh, obviously, you want to have a sense of purpose there. Maybe you could just give us a general idea of how we can go about creating some good benchmarks uh, in, a, in a practice session or a warm-up even that we can take that's going to help us be more successful on the golf course. So when we come up to whether we're getting ready to play and we've got a few minutes to, to warm up or whether we've uh, or actually in a full-blown practice session where we've got maybe a little bit more time, what are some good putting drills, techniques, if you will, that we can adhere to that's going to give us the best likelihood or chance of success when we step out in the golf course? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And so I spend a significant amount of time in my book um, talking about the three putting skills. I talk about a fourth skill in the book um, that I won't mention here, but, but I spend a chapter on each skill. Um, and in no particular order, those three skills are, you know, can you read the green? Can you choose the right spot, which is reading the green? Can you roll the ball at that spot, which is start line control? And can you control the distance or the speed of the putt and the roll of the ball? Um, I would, if I drew a line between practice and warm-up, and let me talk about practice for a second, you need mm-hmm. to structure every single putting practice you have around those three skills. So you need to find a way, and I go through several different drills in the putting book, and there are lots of different resources you can find out there that will help you do this. But you need to isolate each skill and work on each skill. So you need to isolate green reading, isolate speed control, isolate start line control. I'll give you one example of of what I mean by isolate. If I put you on a a 12-foot putt that was dead straight, maybe just a little bit uphill or flat, but dead straight, it's got no break. You've tried it. You've tested it. You've worked on it. It's got no break whatsoever. That essentially removes the skill of green reading from that putt. And in effect, from 10 or 12 feet, you've also removed any effect that speed control has. Because really what happens on speed control, speed control is either a distance issue or it messes with or, or it combines with break to miss a putt, right? Meaning you you hit it too hard and it knocks it through the break. On a straight putt from 12 feet, I take away the effect of speed control. So all I really have left is your ability to start the ball online. And so that's an, that's an example of a drill that you can do to isolate start line control. A chalk line or a string line would be another way that you isolate start line control. And so that's what I mean. In a practice session, you need to do four different blocks, one block for each of the three skills and a final block that combines all three skills. And and the length of the time of your practice needs to be split up in those four ways. It doesn't matter how long or how short each block is, but if you're going to practice, you need to spend time on all four blocks. In a warm-up scenario, all you're really trying to do is get a feel for the green conditions of that particular day. And the only things that are really important in doing that are green reading and speed control. So the same drills that you use to isolate green reading and isolate distance control in a practice setting can also be done the morning of the tournament to use as a warm-up. I would not worry about speed control when it comes time to warm up because if you don't have good speed control by the time you're warming up to play the round, you ain't going to find it warming up, right? So Mm -hmm. speed control and green reading are your two important ones that you have to do when you warm up, and it's all about experiencing the particular condition of the day. In a practice environment, spend time on all three skills, and then a fourth block of time working on combining the three. Very good. I like that. Um, Jamie, I want to ask you 
again, something a little bit different in putting, uh, and, and really overall in the short game, but uh, we, we can emphasize on the putting. You know, we always hear about pre-shot routine. Uh, you know, we think of off the tee, you know, we're thinking about setting up, uh, looking for our target, uh, our line, if you will, uh, and going through a routine. And, uh, you know, it, depending on, on, you know, what you do, it, for everybody it varies, but we want to try to, you know, not be there forever, obviously because of slow play. And it might be 15, it might be 20 seconds, uh, your entire routine. It might be slightly more, slightly less. Um, but, you know, when, when I think about it and you add it up, um, you know, shot for shot, uh, you know, you're, you're spending 18 to 20 minutes around uh, just pre-shot routines. Um, there's a purpose for it. Explain to us what the purpose is of a pre-shot routine, and do we really need it for every shot, and particularly for the putter? I mean, you know, we're not hitting at a great distance more often than not. We're just putting it, you know, as Brandon said, maybe 12 feet. It might be 20 feet. Do we have to go through a pre-shot routine even for our putter? Give us an overview of the pre-shot routine and then talk about the putting as well. Do we need one there? And if so, what should we be thinking about there? Well, Ted, it's really good questions, and particularly I like the context that you set it in, which is pace of play, which is very, very important. And it's been interesting to me as a teaching professional to convey to people the importance of a pre-shot routine. So I'll answer your question on purpose in just a second. So uh, to, to convey the importance and to have a pre-shot routine and then to notice that oh, my God, people are starting to take so much time with their pre-shot routines that pace of play is compromised. And uh, they can even actually have a um, sort of a boomerang effect where they're so busy in their pre-shot routine that um, they almost get anxious or uh, forget to just focus on hit the shot, you know, (laughs) or roll the putt. So, um, you know, there's like everything, there's a balance. So really the purpose of a pre-shot routine is to help you to get what I would call centered, you know, get get centered, get focused, get clear on what you're doing, and to train your nervous system by going through the exact same procedures um, and, and train your nervous system to be calm, present, focused, and then you can execute well um, because you're centered, you're calm, you're in, in good alignment, you're ready to go, you know exactly what you're doing, you're in place, boom, pull the trigger, go, you know, roll the putt whatever, hit the shot. So that's really the purpose of the routine, I think, is to get you calm and focused and present. So um, that that being said, um, do you need a pre-shot routine, say, um, on on a putt? Well, yes, um, I would say so for the same reasons that we just said. When you go through a pattern, and that pattern lets us feel that we've got structure, that we've got kind of a home base, and so in that place, where we calm our stress biochemicals. And that's what's so important about the routine. And you know exactly what you're doing. You know where you are. You've got something to fall back on when your nerves might kick in. So instead of going to the nerves and starting to get too fast or chaotic, reacting from that place, do your routine. Your nervous system knows, okay, I'm home. I'm good. Let's just uh, focus and do what we need to do. So that's the purpose. In putting, I would say, you know, it doesn't have to be long. I think it's important, and what I like to do is walking up to the green. I'm already starting. Part of the It's a pre-pre-shot routine, right, looking at the slopes and starting to get some of the read and the feel of the green and, and the putt that I've got 
to make as I'm walking up to the green. So that's taking up some of the time, which is a good thing. And then it's just, you know, for me, I like to stand behind the putt, you know, do do my green read, and people have different ways of doing that uh, we could talk about. But it's more about just, you know, what is your way that you've read the green, you've decided on your line, and then place the putter right behind the ball in on the line with the putter face exactly, you know, right in line with where you want to, where you're going to roll the ball that first couple of feet to get it rolling online. Your feet are parallel with that. Everything's in alignment. Set yourself over the ball, settle down into belly, legs, feet, nice and steady, back and through that metered out stroke. Um, so, that, you know, those are the important parts, I would say of the routine and again there's variations in how people go about that are they using aim point or you know uh, uh um plumbing the old plumb line there's different ways that people read the green but whatever it is do your green read get yourself set get uh, place your putter head on the line place your feet on the line get your hands on you know right on a uh, grip on the club and then nice and settled steady still back through well said you know i i look at it this way it goes back to something Brandon had said a little while ago about tempo and, and, and timing and that. I look at the pre-shot routine for all shots as just that. You know, a lot of times during a round, especially if somebody's had a few bad holes, a lot of times they get out of sync with themselves. They, get, they start to get rushed or they get anxious because they're not hitting the ball as well. So for me, I find a, a pre-shot routine helps sort of recenter myself and gets me sort of calmed down and said, okay, you know what, that was not a great shot that I just hit, but this is a new shot, and I'm going to recenter myself and get ready to hit this shot here. So I'm putting the last shot out of my mind, and I'm going through my routine again. And the reason why I say that is if you watch, uh, certainly I won't say 100%, but probably 99.9% of all the touring professionals, if you watch them in an event, and they'll go through their routine and if something distracts them, whether it might be a loud noise in the distance, it might be the crowd cheering on the green, uh, you know, just a, a, a few yards away um, on another hole, they will actually stop, back off, and go through that pre-shot routine again uh, and repeat the process from start to finish. And again, what they're doing is they're, again, centering themselves, getting their, their mental uh, preparedness, if you will, for that particular shot by going through that as opposed to just sort of, as many amateurs do, just going through and hitting the shot um, regardless whether they're half prepared or partially prepared. So that's how I like to look at the pre-shot routine. It gives me an opportunity of refocusing and balancing myself and getting ready and providing myself with the information needed to execute the shot that's coming up before me. So that's the way I look at yeah, it. That- Another way of saying that, you know, I was kind of saying that um, about, you know, the centering aspect, the calming aspect, uh, anybody who's familiar with NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, talks about anchoring. And it's kind of like the, um, you, you know, you do a gesture or this routine is a way to anchor yourself, center yourself. And as I mentioned earlier, it's about training your nervous system to be calm, balanced, centered, focused. And so it's just going through those motions. And it doesn't have to be a long routine, right? But it just has to be uh, steady, be the same one, and that repetition, repetition, so that you're anchored and then your whole nervous system gets the signal and you're not in, as you were saying, that reactive, anxious, distracted Mm -hmm. place. Yeah, well said. Um, Brandon, I'm going to come back to you, and I like to 
sort of frame this in the sense of short game. I know you've talked already a little bit about this, but maybe you could uh, put a few more uh, broad strokes, if you will, on this question. And, and I like to call this short game time management. Um, how much time should we spend in a practice session and how much time uh, typically should we spend uh, in an ideal situation in a warm-up before a round? Um, again, I know you, you mentioned about putting some things that we can do, but overall in the short game particularly, I mean, obviously the long game we want to hit some shots, see how our driver's working, but typically if we're in a practice session and we're working on the short game, ideally for most amateurs, what would be a reasonable and a good time frame for them to spend in a practice session and what should they be working on particularly uh, or how should they figure out what to work on and then before warm-up before a round what ideally again in a perfect world uh, what kind of time frame should they give themselves uh, in order to uh, do a, a good warm-up uh, and give them the best chance again for success before going out in the course great a lot question, to unpack, I know I would say yeah, well, a lot I would, to unpack. I, I would say, in a in a perfect world, someone is keeping stats and they know exactly where their weaknesses are, and they spend time practicing those weaknesses. Now, that's usually not the case for most amateur golfers um, because they either don't know how to keep stats or don't go through the effort of keeping stats. Um, in that case, I would tell you that you need to. Try to find a way to assess your weakness and separate that weakness out. And so if you thought about separating short game down into wedges specifically, down into three areas, uh, distance wedges, which would be, well, let me go the other way, finesse wedges, which would be anything from right off the edge of the green out to about 40 yards, Think about if you miss the green on a par four approach shot and it rolls off the back of the green down in a swale. That would be an example of a finesse wedge. Uh, distance wedges would be your second category, which would be when you've laid up on a par five um, or you have a short par four and you've hit a driver and you're, you know, you've got a 65-yard wedge shot. Um, and the third area would be bunkers. Of those three, which one is your weakest? Again, stats should tell you in a perfect world, but assess your weakness. Front load your practice time to that weakness, but don't leave any of it out. Okay, so if you think about a wedge practice session being 100%, you might spend 60% of your time on your weakness and 20% of time each on the other two areas. As far as how long, that's really dependent on the student, right? Because time should be dictated by how long you can stay engaged. Uh, some people might call that interested. Um, I don't like the word interested as much as I like the word engaged, but your practice has to be quality practice. Mm -hmm. I see way too many amateurs in the world use golf as particularly hobby golf as a stress reliever or as fun. What I mean by that is you've had a tough week at work. It's Saturday morning, family sleeping in late. 
I think I'll get up and I'll go to the golf course and I'll hit a few balls. That's not really practice. Mm-hmm. Now, that's very much golf. Go enjoy it, right? Have some fun. But that's not practice because you're not in the frame of mind to actually improve your skill. If you can get in the right frame of mind, stay in that frame of mind and continue practicing as long as you can. For some people, that might be 20 minutes. Um, I teach a, a, a professional player playing on the Canadian Tour, and he can do it for three or four hours. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to be able to stay engaged, and that's how long your practice session should last. Um, I, I think I think a warm-up is very, very different from practice. Warm-up is all about just that, warming up, getting ready to play. So think about a warm-up the same way you would in uh, if you were going to go to a, a personal training session with a, a trainer for working on fitness, right? The work, the practice, if you will, is done when you're lifting the heavy weights or moving around on the machines or doing whatever. The warm-up is simply jogging for five or ten minutes or riding a bike or rowing or all three just to get the blood pumping and get your body ready to move. That's what a warm-up is designed for. So don't ever cross warm-up and practice. Don't ever cross practice with stress relief and fun. Stay practicing as long as you can keep yourself engaged. The moment you lose engagement or the moment you lose interest, go home or go do something else. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, and that, that's a great way that you put it because, uh, again, it, it, as I said earlier on, it, it really goes to the individuals. Um, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has, um, you know, some have more, some have less time. Uh, and it depends on what your goals are as well. If you're just somebody, as you mentioned, that just wants to go and it's a way of relieving stress and, and you just enjoy and you're not really caring about the scores or you're not caring about whether you're hitting every shot perfect or not, uh, you know what, go out and have some fun. But if you truly want to improve your game, there are certain things and certain commitments that you're going to have to make. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you have to you know, dive into it as, a, as the tour professionals do to that level because they obviously have a different goal in mind. They're wanting to compete at an extremely high level, and they know that in order to be able to do that, there are certain benchmarks, there are certain uh, routines that they have to get themselves into um, effectively in order to see the results they're going to need to be able to compete effectively uh, against uh, the other uh, top players uh, you know, around the globe. So, uh, again, you, know, you have to really assess, what, first off, and, and establish your own goals, what it is that you want to accomplish. And I always recommend, you know, if, if you're wanting to improve and be a better player, obviously that you connect with uh, uh, your, you know, your local golf professional. Seek somebody out that you know, is like-minded that you get along with and you have good communication skills with and get them to help you. Get them to, you know, have that conversation initially. If you've never taken lessons before, I always encourage that, um, you know, to sit down with them and talk for a few minutes and just say, you know, here's what my thoughts are. Here's what I'd like to do and get them to help you, you know, tailor-made. It's not just about taking lessons, but it's about really uh, helping you define that vision of what it is that you want to do and, and what experience you want to have. So, um, and all of the things that you know you guys have talked about here uh, tonight are are part of that discussion um, and and establishing routines and ways of becoming uh, a better player. Uh, and if it's something that's not really in your wheelhouse and you just want to go out and knock the ball around, well then have at it. 
And, you know, none of the above apply, I guess, is the best way to put it. Jamie, I've I've saved this question for you. Uh, It's a little bit different. Uh, I wanted to give something different to you here to to end things off as we get ready to wrap up uh, Coach's Corner. Uh, Time is is a big issue for a lot of people, as as we have pointed out many times on the show. And we always get faced periodically with somebody, probably more often than we would like, with somebody like that that has very little time, maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day at best, uh, to be able to practice. If you had such a student, if somebody came up to you tomorrow and said, Jamie, you know, I really want to get better in my game, but I don't have a lot of time because of work and family obligations. I've only got maybe 10, 15 minutes a day to be able to really do anything. What can I do to help improve? How would you advise them to spend that time uh, to work on their game? And what would you uh, maybe encourage them to work on to give them at least an opportunity to improve? Fabulous question. You know, I love your questions always, Ted. And thanks for asking me this one. You know that as a martial artist, I'm into training, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which is a daily right. regular practice. Um, I think that's one of the downfalls in a certain way in golf is we talk about go take a lesson. And it's kind of this discreet thing and doesn't have enough of that <clears throat> that um, practicing and practicing with a purpose as uh, we were just talking about, which is real different from going out and, you know, just kind of swinging or stress relief or fun. It's real different to practice with some, you know, intention towards improvement. So, um, you know, the idea in training, and this is true in martial arts, it's true if you are a musician, right? You do scales, you practice, you go over your pieces, and you can't do, you really can't cram in improvement, right? So you can't all of a sudden cram music and all of a sudden be able to play it. So we also can't cram in our golf improvement. Little bits, and like you're saying, if, and I've tried to have students do this, give me 15 minutes a day. Give yourself 15 minutes a day at home. Um, I've been teaching this for about 20 years, and with the pandemic, people are at home. It's like, oh, my gosh, I really can practice at home. So, mm-hmm. again, we have different parts of the game. You can easily do fitness at home. Um, so, of course, I've developed Make Your Golf Club Your Health Club. In fact, I'm just sitting here working on, on a flyer, of, um, a notice. On June 13th, Sunday afternoon, I'm doing golf fitness, balance, length, and integrate stress, stretch strength, and which is golf bliss. Make your golf club your health club. How you can use your golf club to stretch and strengthen your body and in direct relationship with your golf swing and build your golf swing doing golf fitness. So first of all, I would say work on fitness, um, flexibility, strength, focus, alignment, and that's easily done and done at home. So you don't always have to take the time or the expense to go to the range, much less the golf course. You can practice putting at home. Now, 15 minutes uh, twice a week, say two days of your week, you're working on putting on your carpet at home uh, and working on, you know, routine, alignment, even stroke, all the things we've been talking about, nice square contact, club face to the to the hole, this sort of thing. The hole could be you can buy something, you know, the golf store to, to work on your putting, little putting needs. You can have the leg of your chair at home, you know, or, or the couch. That's your, you know, you're just trying to roll the ball and hit that. So you can practice putting at home. And then... Uh, something I've done is to create the golf katas. Kata is a martial arts word, and it means a repeating form. And so the golf swing is really a repeating form, backswing, downswing, impact, follow-through. And using uh, kata practice, patterning your golf swing, you can gain uh, re- repeatability, which gives you consistency. You can work on positions in your golf swing, transitions in your golf swing. 
Um, so, you know, 15 minutes at home at the office, if you're, now we're going back to the office, but, uh, you know, doing um, business golf training. I've had, you know, all sorts of office people, whether you're employees, staff, up to the CEOs, you know, C-suite, have your golf club there and take 15 minutes, do some golf fitness, work on sw- patterning your golf swing, and that will pay off. So that's the daily practice in training your body, training your mind, and knowing that you can work on your golf swing and your golf skills and your putting skills at home. There's lots of ways to do chipping in your backyard. A hula hoop is your little green. I mean, we can go on about all the ways to do uh, practicing mm-hmm. at home. It's free, it's immediate, and you can get in that, that regular daily training as you're asking about. Well, and, and it, it helps to create – well said, by the way, Jamie – uh, it's it's a great way to, to uh, fortify and create routine. You know, we so often in our daily lives we have other routines that we get used to, and we we can think about and, and perform different tasks with really without any thought at all or very little thought because we've done them with routine. And you want to get to a point with your golf uh, game like that that the, the various different movements and the, the positions, ball positions, things like that, that um, you know you you want to get familiarized with and your golf swing and and your putting stroke and you want to be able to to get that and the only way to do that is with practice but again as i mentioned we don't all have uh you know hours a day like many pros do uh we're not always playing you know uh four rounds a week um you know on on different golf courses to get the, these different uh uh you know adaptations if you will so we have to do with what we can with whatever time we have but if we make use of the time, and as you both have mentioned uh, here this evening, is, is practicing with a purpose, um, you know, whether it's 10 minutes, whether it's 15 minutes, or even if you're lucky in 20 minutes and more, you can get a lot of things right and, and, and do well. Um, and, and, you know, we always hear, you know, with fitness and things, people say, well, in you know, 10 minutes I can get you doing this, or 15 minutes I can get you do that, and people will step up and do that. Well, if you're somebody that is lacking in time, there's no reason you can't set aside 10 or 15 minutes to do the same thing with your golf game. And again, as some of the things that you just pointed out, Jamie, there's many others as well. And that's where that conversation with your golf professional can really come, become valuable because they can help set you up based on your uh, lifestyle, uh, a plan that's going to be tailor fit for your, uh, you know, way of, of uh, approaching things and, you're going to reach optimal success in doing so. And then as more time becomes available, then you can adjust those things along the way. But at least that way, it gives you a running start to be able to improve your golf game. Great discussion tonight, guys. You did a fantastic job, as always, uh, with, with the questions. I appreciate your thoughts and input, and I hope that many of the listeners out there are able to take some notes. And if not, uh, I will tell them how they can listen to this broadcast a little bit later on uh, when it's uh, on the recorded version um, but I'm going to give each of you a second or two if you want. Uh, Brandon, I'll start with you, and then Jamie. Uh, you can let the folks know if they want to reach out to you, the best way to do that. And, and by all means, if you have something that you want to plug, uh, go ahead and do that as well. Uh, Brandon and then Jamie. Well, it would, it, would, it would seem rude to plug my two books that are for sale on Amazon or through my website, so I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, no. If, 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 if anybody if anybody has any questions or wants to, to talk to me, um, everything I have out there in the world is under Stooksbury Golf. 
So just my last name in golf, whether that's YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, my webpage is stooksberrygolf.com. If you guys have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me on any of those platforms, uh, whether that's private message or send me a message on the Facebook um, or, uh, you know, through the social media channels or my website. I'm happy to, to answer that. If you are interested in the book, you can get it directly on Amazon. I'm happy to send you or mail you a signed copy if you just reach out to me on my webpage. Um, and so, Ted, thanks so much, man. I always have such a great time. Uh, I thank you for having me back, and I'm happy to be back on the schedule. You do a wonderful job, and I really appreciate well, it. Well, thank you, Brandon. It's good to have you back and uh, part of the team. And uh, uh, don't forget, when you get a chance to get those uh, videos organized for me, and uh, we'll, we'll get working on that as well. Jamie, go ahead. People can reach me at um, my through my website, which is kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I, golf.com. Email Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at kiigolf.com. Uh, and text me or give me a call, 760-492-GOLF, uh, 4653. So 760-492-4653. And, um, you know, always happy to be in touch, uh, very responsive. Uh, I have some uh, DVDs, et cetera, um, some golf aids on my website. And I do some regular trainings, and I really would love to invite people, encourage them to join in for golf uh, fitness, which is uh, I'm going to do virtually, so you can do it from anywhere. June 13th, it's a Sunday afternoon, 3 to 4.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Uh, so, yeah, I'm always happy to be in touch. And I just want to mention, you put in a plug for the LPGA, watch the U.S. Women's Open. It's uh, on mm-hmm. all throughout the weekend. And I'm excited I get to be out there at the Olympic Club for part of it. I'll be driving down the Bay Area. But uh, tune in to women's golf. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm going to watch it myself. I'm not going to be there, but I'm going to watch it. But uh, uh, Jamie and Brandon, thank you again very much for always bringing your best to the show. And uh I look forward to uh, having you join us uh, next time here on the Coach's Corner panel on Golf Talk Live. Have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the, uh, the tournament this weekend. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That was uh, Brandon Stukesbury and Jamie Leno-Zimron uh, joining me here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, while I wait uh, just a moment or two for my very special guest, here's a quick message. From Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, Equipment, training aids, accessory, and apparel reviews. Golf destinations and travel tips for every budget. And so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. Uh, Very excited to have my uh, next guest on the show. Uh, He hasn't been on for a little while, and uh, he actually reached out to me and said, hey, you know what, I'd love to come back on. We always have a good time, and uh, he's going to – uh, hopefully we'll take some calls tonight and, and he'll answer some questions that you may have out there 
on your golf game or, or whatever it is you want to talk about. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about him, and then I'm going to bring him on, and we'll uh, we'll get uh, get started here. Uh, of course, I'm talking about uh, Barry Goldstein. He is a professional golf instructor based out of Coral Springs, Florida, and also out of Binghamton, uh, New York. Uh, he's received recognition for teaching everyone from junior golfers, amateurs, and, of course, professional golfers. Uh, he was born and raised in Binghamton, New York, and attended the Binghamton High School. Uh, he was captain of the ice hockey team and baseball player, uh, ultimately deciding to play baseball at Florida Atlantic University. Uh, once his baseball career ended, he turned to golf. Uh, he quickly took up the game, uh, competing as an amateur golfer. Uh, his focus uh, soon shifted to the teaching side of golf, and uh, he uh, is one of the top uh, 25 instructors in America for Golf Tips magazine. Uh, and one of his biggest personal accomplishments is being the coach and caddy for his daughter, Carly Goldstein, who won the Florida State golf title among many back in 2012 and also went on to be a member of the LSU Tigers golf team. So please welcome my very special guest and good friend, Mr. Barry Goldstein. Good evening, Barry, and welcome. Ted, great to hear you. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, my friend. How are you doing? Always great to come on your show. You're right. It has been a while. I think I've done your show like eight times but I've been yeah, busy think, the last five years or so. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, uh, you and Carly came on a few times uh, early on when I first uh, uh, started firing up, and it's hard to believe this is uh, season nine for Golf Talk Amazing. Live. Next year will be yeah, next year will be season ten. So yeah, it's it's hard to believe I've been doing it this long. But um, so well, you know what the you know what the truth is, Ted. You're probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the golf industry. So anything I can do to support you, it's my pleasure. Like, I I mean, you really are. I mean, I know a lot of people in the golf industry and you've got to be one of the five nicest guys I've ever met in it. So it's a pleasure to help you out and come on your show. Well, I appreciate that. I'd be happy just even be in the top 10, but top five, I'll take that any day. (laughs) I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, let me, let me just, yeah, hold on one second, because I think we got somebody else uh, extra special that's going to join us as well. Uh, please, please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my second special guest this evening, for a little while anyways, uh, Barry's daughter, Carly Goldstein. Good evening, Carly, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, well, listen, thank you for, for coming on. It's been a little while, but uh, I'm glad you're able to join us. Yeah, me too. It's it's good. Oh, I think I'm not sure if you if we lost it. Are you still there? I am. I am. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, okay. Just get cut out there for a second. Um well, your father's already here, so say hello to to dad and uh and then we'll start <laughs> our our conversation. <laughs> yeah, hey dad. How's it going? Thanks. Thanks good. for having I me lo- on. Oh, it's great to have you on, Carly. I love you. It's a pleasure to have you on. Best truth is, Ted, another truthful statement. The greatest female player I've ever taught is my daughter, Carly Ray. And I've taught LPGA Tour players and probably 50 Division One college players. This girl is a very special player. But, uh, Carly, we're glad you could join us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Carly. So, Carly, since I know you, you're only going to spend a little bit of time with us, uh, Barry, I'm going to shift you aside for a minute. No, no, uh, uh, no reflection on, on the male ego or anything like that, but I've only got your daughter for a few moments, so uh, I want to bring uh, her into the, into the picture first. So, Carly, let me, let me back up, because the last time that you were on the show, 
you were, I think, about midway through your time at, at LSU uh, playing for the Tigers. So sort of close out the end of that experience. Um, obviously, you went on to graduate and, and uh, had a successful time there, and you're on to other things now. We'll talk about that in a minute. But tell us overall how your experience was, because you know, you've typically played by yourself for most of your life through various tournaments. Now you were part of a team. Tell us a little bit about that experience, how it differed for you. Uh, was it something that was out of sorts for you, or did you sort of blend right in uh, as though it was uh, you know, uh, you know, anything that uh, you would normally do? Yeah, it was definitely um, a, a great decision to come in an LSU Tiger. Um, I, I had, you know, an, an awesome four years, and I got a, a great degree, and I met, you know, lifelong friends, and I had some, some great coaches. Um, I will say it was definitely um, very different than how I grew up playing golf. Um, I would, you know, to answer your question, I would say that there was a lot that, that changed um, as far as, how I went about practicing and playing, and it definitely became more of a um, just kind of a, a different outlook on, on golf and practice in itself. But, yeah, I would definitely say it's um, definitely something that I look back on with super, super positive memories and kind of um, definitely, you know, you hear people say, like, oh, it, it, you know, sports are so great for young people, and it kind of shapes people to have, you know, a different kind of drive and determination. And um, I, I do definitely think that golf did that for me um, growing up and even, you know, throughout college. It definitely um, can really round you as a person being a, a college athlete or college golfer. Well, you were, uh, at least in my opinion, you were like the Tiger Woods in the female side <laughs> of golf. You started very, very young, obviously, and your dad can attest to that. And you just had phenomenal success throughout your career. Obviously, I know you're not playing uh, right now in the LPGA Tour or anything, but, you know, you just had an incredible, um, um, I mean, if memory serves me correct, I think it was around 102 tournaments that you've won both nationally and uh, and internationally as well, um, and including the, uh, as I mentioned uh, in the opening uh, uh, credits here, the Florida State golf title back in 2012. So, you got a lot of wins. You got a lot of W's in, in your corner. Um, talk about your dad. What was it specifically that you recall? Because I know you spent a lot of time with him on the golf course. What was it specifically that he has said to you over the years that really stuck with you? Um, we were huge on just outworking people, um, but my dad always kept it, you know, pretty fun for me. So we put in a ton of hours, my dad, you know, my dad included, I was always out there working, but he was always right there next to me, kind of just, um, making sure that I was doing all of the right things and, um, definitely, uh, kind of keeping my head in the right place. Um, but yeah, I would say, um he was he was kind of just always always there with the good tips we never really got too uh technical you know I would say like leading up to tournaments it would be you know a couple weeks of really good work on my swing and short game and mechanics and then you know leading up to a tournament uh just good thoughts and and positive you know positive thoughts and just going out thinking that I was going to win every tournament put me in a really good Mm -hmm. mindset um, so I think that's something that really helped me in, in junior golf and leading up to college um, mm-hmm. was just kind of having somebody in my ear all the time, you know, believing that I was going to win and that I, you know, my, my game was always in great shape, even if, you know, I was struggling going into the tournament or something like that. My dad was always there to just kind of tell me, you know, you got this, just kind of, you know, kind of grab me in a way. 
Yeah, and, and that's so important, to, you know, because a lot of times, you know, I mean, I've had the pleasure, I, I do another show uh, Tuesday mornings called The Women of Golf, and uh, I have a co-host, um, she's an LPGA professional, Cindy Miller, and we, we speak with a lot of this Metro Tour players and some of the LPGA players as well. And it's interesting because, you know, when they get out there, and some of them are, are coming from other countries, so they don't have family here or a support system here, so they're on their own, and it's tough. And one of the questions mm-hmm. I always ask them, and I'm curious to get your response to this, is obviously in realistic terms, we, we can't win everything. I mean, you won a heck of a lot, so you're pretty darn close if there was ever to be somebody to do that. But, but, but obviously you played in a lot more tournaments than, than you won, but you did win a lot. But there's moments when, when you weren't playing your best for whatever reason, whether the physical game was letting you down or you just maybe didn't have the energy to, to, to push through. What did you say to yourself when those times did come, when you weren't hitting the ball as well as you know you can or the putts just weren't dropping in the hole as often as they should? What did you say mentally? Because the mental side of the game, as you know, is just as important, if not more important, than the physical game. What did you say to yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, thinking back, just to kind of putting putting myself in, in that position, thinking back on that, trying to, you know, put myself in – tournaments where I really do remember either being behind or I just wasn't playing great. I would definitely say, I just always believed that um, I could control what I was going to control. So, you know, I can't, but my, my thoughts uh, change, my thoughts aren't going to change how the person next to me is playing and kind of just really try to focus on my own game. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember one time during one of the uh, world championships, I was a, a couple strokes behind going into, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14. And, um, you don't really get to talk. I don't get to talk to dad on, on, you know, outside of the ropes much during those large tournaments, you know, it's, it's very um, individual, but I remember I was getting water and he just said like, come on, you got this. And I just looked at him and I was like, you know, something will happen. You know, I'll, I'll either make some birdies or she'll, you know, trip up, maybe make a bogey here and there. And truthfully, it didn't end up happening. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I just remember thinking that, you know, I, I can control what I can control and hopefully, you know, something does happen, something will go right for me. Um, and, and like I said, it didn't with that case, but I think that is a really, really good mindset to have is just, you know, focus on what you can control, which is your own game and your own, your own mental game. Um, and other than that, you know, there, there's not really any, anything else you can do. Um, yeah. No, I think that's a great answer. And, and you're exactly right. It's, it, you know, again, golf is such an individual sport. It's you and yourself that's out there on the golf course. And, you know, even if you have a caddy and, and whatnot that you can converse with, whether it be in your case, it was your dad. Um, but, you know, essentially you're the ultimate one that makes that decision and um, you can only control what you can control. So it doesn't matter what the other players are doing. You have no over- control over their, uh, uh, you know, outcomes you can only control what happens in your own game. Barry, I want to bring you in, in this, and, and I, sure. want you to remove, I want you to remove yourself, and I know it's hard to do, as a father, okay, for just a second, and I, want you, to assess, I want you to assess Carly um, as a player, um, not good or bad or anything, but what was it that impressed you most when you watched her out in the golf course, how she handled herself during good times, bad times, and everything in between. What was it, as a, as a, from a coach's perspective, what did you notice yeah. that, that really took hold? 
well, all our listeners can learn from this. I can just honestly say if I wasn't her father and I was watching her play, remarkably positive attitude, always had a good attitude on the golf course, whether she was six under or six over, you would never know by watching her. Smile when she made a birdie. If somebody clapped for her, she'd smile. If she made a double, she just kept moving forward. And, you know, Ted, as a golf teacher, (laughs) it's just amazing that that was my daughter that had all those qualities because it's everything you dream of as a teacher because not everybody's like that. People get mad. They toss clubs. They get down on themselves. Carly, I can honestly say I never had to one time in her career get her up. She always was in a positive frame of mind when it was time to play. And, you know, I'll give you an example. I remember when she won that Florida high school state championship in 2012. It was super windy, Ted. They could have easily canceled the tournament. Hurricane Sandy had just come through. I mean, it was 45-mile-an-hour winds, very cold for Florida, 40 degrees. She goes Mm. out and she shoots. She goes out and she shoots 69 in the first round. We thought she was going to have a five, six shot lead. Well, another girl posted, I believe 70 was only one back. So we knew we had a battle the next day. I told Carly she was best player there. I knew she was. But that second day, Carly hit 18 greens in regulation. But putts weren't falling on the front nine. She made the turn after 27 holes. She was one down. She ended up birdieing three out of the last five holes to win the state championship by four shots. And I remember Mm. after the round, she came over, gave me a huge hug, and we said, you know, we did it. But my first thought was, as a golf teacher, I just wish everybody could have that positive fight in them. It was always a positive fight. It was never an angry or downward attitude that she had on the golf course. It was always a positive battle in her, and that's the way to be great. That's why she was good for so long, you know, because it's awful hard to be over-emotional and be a good player for a long time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and attitude is so much. You know, you, know, you see when you look at the uh, guys, when you look at the tour players, male or female, it doesn't matter. Um, they're all high-caliber players. But yet the same, you know, there's always a certain type of player that seems to, you know, as I say, cream rises to the top, uh, that, that yeah. seems to come in week in, week out. And, I mean, I, I, and not to throw anybody under the bus, but I look at somebody like a Luke Donald, who was, you know, a phenomenal ball striker, probably, uh, again, I'm not saying the yeah. best, one of the best, but, but where is he week in, week out? You know, why didn't we see him in the winner's circle? So a lot of it, yeah. I think, happens, you know, mentally that, uh, you know, again, it doesn't matter how well you're hitting the ball. If you don't have so the right true. attitude and the right frame of mind out there in the golf course, you're not going to be in the winner's circle. And that was something that Tiger and, of course, Jack had, was they had that yes. attitude and that, that mindset that took them into the winner's circle. And Jack knew that he didn't. You know, he wasn't the best ball striker out there. And Tiger, listen, I've seen him, you know, uh, pull some incredible hooks and slices with that driver. <laughs> but he always managed to, I mean, I watched him at the Canadian Open a number of years back. And, uh, you know, when he hit that famous bunker shot. And, I mean, that was a fantastic shot. But I saw him hit a few other ugly ones uh, earlier, For you know, sure. in the round. So, so, you know, even the best players are not going to always hit it pure every time. But if they have the right attitude and the right mindset going in, as, as you just it. expressed, uh, Carly had, uh, it can carry them through even the, the darkest of times. So, Carly, I want to come back yes. to you real quick because I know you don't have a lot of time, uh, and I appreciate whatever time you're giving me. So, again, when we last talked, you were, you were coming through LSU, and now you've graduated and you're on doing other things. Um, 
where do you see yourself? Where are you moving towards now? I think if I remember correctly, you did talk about maybe uh, playing professionally, but you also said something too that you kind of liked maybe getting into like golf media or announcing or uh, something along that lines. What's your future plans? What do you want to do moving forward? Yeah, I was. Um, I, I did do an internship with an awesome TV station down in Baton Rouge um, after I graduated, and I was doing um, just kind of learning a little bit about that side of things. You know, I did not uh, study study journalism or TV broadcasting in college, but it was something that I did have an interest in, um, and I did like doing that. But I'm actually in sales now, and I, I definitely love doing sales. It's um, fun to go out to the golf course. Uh, my fiance and I are, are members at a golf course in, in our neighborhood up here and definitely enjoy going out to play. But um, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't see myself really getting into, uh, into the golf business. Right. I, I, you know what? Uh, again, I think you have to try different things and thank you for saying that because I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring that up, but I had noticed recently on social media, you wearing a, a very particular dress. So I understand uh, Carly, <laughs> that you got engaged last year, I believe August 2020. I didn't I want to bring it up because, you know, I, I respect people's privacy, even though I know it was I on social media. <laughs> so um, so uh, when's the uh, when's yeah. the nuptials? Uh, have you set a date uh, or is this yeah. – uh, we're just – okay, so – yeah, we are. Uh, we're, we're getting married in September, and it's going to be up here in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where we live now. Um, right. So we are um, kind of closing in on the date quickly now, <laughs> a couple months. Chad, you well, know, he's the, the guy that she picked, I swear, if I was going to pick one person on the entire planet to be Carly's fiance, I'd have picked this kid. He, he was a pitcher with the Milwaukee Brewers yep. organization when she met him. And, you know, he was a six foot seven left-handed pitcher, but he's just the greatest, most respectful, polite kid. Like, you know me, Ted. I'm an extremely yep. protective dad. I couldn't have picked a better human being than she picked. Like, <laughs> it just tells me I raised her so well because she picked the ultimate good person to marry. So I'm thrilled that it's Cameron, you know? Yep. Yeah, oh, I know. He I... has got the golf dad. He, uh, like my dad said, he played baseball, and so he never uh... – really throughout college and, and playing professionally didn't ever really get into golf. And now he is, he goes out to the range like before work, he'll go play 18 after work. He is just, I, I, I laugh because he has just got the golf run bad. I'm his teacher and he shot 73 recently. And his first comment, he told Carly, I can't wait to call Barry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Ted, you know, what can I say? He's like my son already. So when you hear, I can't wait to call Barry, it makes me feel good. Well, <laughs> congratulations, Carly, uh, unofficially, because I know you're, you're not quite there yet, but congratulations on the engagement. And uh, I'm very, very excited for you. And, and I, I got to say, I was, I was surprised when I saw that. I thought, what? Wait a minute. I must be missing something here. I didn't see this. And, and I was, uh, this was a little while ago. And I'll be honest, I thought it was, you know, you were just part of a wedding party for somebody else. And I got looking a little bit close and said, no, wait a minute. This, is, this young lady is engaged. And uh, so I... I started doing some homework, and I was okay. Who is this guy? I was looking out for you, Bear. I said, "Who's this guy? I want to make sure this guy's <laughs> Thank you, doing Dad. the right." You know, so I was uh, listen. I'm Italian, so I got connections. So just in case, you never know, right? <laughs> Thanks, Dad. We're not going to need no, any. He's a, Cameron is he's no. great. We got. I got a lot. I know. No, I know. He's a great guy. Well, well listen, Carly, I'm going to let you go because I know you've got things to do, and I want a chance to, to chat with your dad a little bit more. But uh, you're welcome to come back anytime, as your dad always is. And I think we've got somebody here that wants to talk to your dad and maybe has a question for him. But 
much continued awesome. success in whatever you do, and congratulations to both you and Cameron, and I wish you well, and uh, God bless you both. Thank I you love so you, much. Honey. I really appreciate you having me on. I love you too, Dad, and um, we'll talk to you soon, Ted. All right, bye-bye. All right, great, that was Carly Golson. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, not a problem. I, I love that. All right, Barry, I think we've we've got somebody uh, that's been calling in. I think they have a question for you, so let me bring great. them on and see what uh, what they want to ask you. All right, good evening, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Uh, thank you for joining the conversation. Uh, have you got a question for Mr. Goldstein? Yes, I do. Barry, it's Errol down in Tampa. Errol, how are you, buddy? Fine, buddy. How are you? I just listened to you and Carly. Congratulations. Thanks, Errol. Gosh, I've taught Errol for years and years. He watched my daughter grow up playing golf, and Errol's a good player himself. All right. I just I, I saw you were on, on the tube there, so I just wanted to call and tell everybody that's listening that you are the best, and anybody who needs help, go to Barry. <laughs> wow, and looking forward to seeing you. you when you come back south, buddy. Oh, uh, you're All the right. best. Well, your, Errol- checks in, your check's in the mail, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, Errol, Errol, let me let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question because yeah. obviously you've worked with with Barry, um, yes. you know, over the years and that. What was what was the part of your game that you struggled with most that Barry helped uh, you with the most? Well, I was a golf coach down in Miami. That's where it, basically that's where we met, mm-hmm. and I could I can teach it, but chipping was my worst. <laughs> and Barry Barry would get into my head and and help me out, and it's been a a long road up, but I'm getting there. That's great, Errol. <laughs> that is great to hear. Errol's as nice a guy as you'd ever want to meet, Ted, just like you, class act. And I'm so glad you called in, Errol. You caught me by surprise. Yeah, well, I saw it on, on Facebook, and I said, well, I don't. I never did this before. Didn't know how it worked, but I wanted to <laughs> hopefully say hi and tell everybody to go visit I'm so you. I'm so Because you uh, you're so, the best, so Barry, let, let me ask Thank you, you, Errol, hang on, hang on for one more second, yeah. Errol. Yeah, Barry, what, what I want you to do is just to, to explain for the listeners' uh, benefit what specifically sure. you said or, or what you did for Errol uh, that sort of helped him move that needle, that chipping needle, if you will, sure. a little further down the road. Okay. When I first started teaching Errol, I was an extremely young teacher. I was in my first year of teaching probably. This is going back a long time. And yep. what I probably what – I, what I remember doing with Errol, he would come out to Inverary Country Club where I – where I teach in Fort Lauderdale, and we would work on A, getting his stance narrower instead of wide, B, getting the ball off his back foot instead of in the middle of his stance, C, getting his hands ahead of the golf ball for chipping, and then I would just get him to understand that it's a nice, short, compact stroke, a downward blow, and I always teach my golfers when they chip to keep their posture and their eyes down until the ball lands on the green, and then they can come up and watch it because Errol had a little fear he would jump up yep. and want to see the result too early. That's right. Once he overcame that, it just becomes cake, and they they really get good at it. It's just I sort of stole it from Sam Snead. He used to say, listen <laughs> for your putts to fall in the hole. So I wrote for Golf Tips Magazine, the greatest golf magazine in the industry. This has got to be 20 years ago. I said I got mm-hmm. a great tip for chipping that I've never heard written before, to stay down until you hear the ball thump on the putting surface. And that has really helped me teach a lot of my students how to be a much better little bump and run chipper around the greens. And that's what I did with Errol. And they also, yeah, the, and you know, the great thing that Barry does is he takes videos and he'll take you off the, off the practice range, take you inside yep. for, for the immediate, immediate feedback. 
and then take you back out to work on it. You know yeah, what I would do great. with somebody with Errol? You'd like this, Ted. So mm. I'd have videos of my daughter, which is exactly what I would teach, and I would just show Errol what he's doing, and I'd say, hey, look, here's what Carly's doing. She's one of the best chippers I've ever seen. And I would just show him the difference in setup, show him the difference in the length of stroke, show him where her eyes are when she strikes the ball, show him where his are, and he couldn't help but see the difference, and we'd go right back right. outside and work on it. You know? Yeah, well, Carly's, uh, his daughter and my grandson was the same age. They wound up going to college at the same time. My grandson That's was right. Pfeiffer up in North That's Carolina, right. so we had that we had that in common, too. But uh, I just wanted to tell everybody that you're the best, Bear, and hopefully I'll see so you when nice. you come back south. You will see me. And, you know, Errol's the kind of guy, every time I'm on the golf channel, he watches. Errol's just a good person. He's just a good guy. <laughs> hey, Errol, thanks for calling in, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, you take care, and thanks for having me on the air. You too, All right, buddy. thank you, Errol. You have a great weekend. Right, take care. All right, Barry, I think we've got somebody else, so let's bring them on and see if they've got a great. question for you as well. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. You're on here with Mr. Barry Goldstein. Have you got a question for him? Hello? Hi. Yes, hi. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Barry. Yes. Jimmy G. Binghamton. How you doing, man? Oh, Jimmy Gazda. Lifetime. Listen. Okay, wait. Oh before he asks God. me a golf chat question, okay. Ted, this guy was my catcher in the Little League. Yep. That's how long I've known Jimmy. Wow. <laughs> I was a pitcher. Yeah. He was a catcher. And, and, I, and I, the, I love the guy. I got the scars Great. to prove it, man. <laughs> yeah, I used to burn. I had a good arm back in the day, Ted. I could oh bring God, it when yes. we were kids. Yeah, he could bring it. He could, he could definitely throw the heat, man, let me tell you. He had like two pitches, and one of them was Watch this. You'll never see it. Bang. There's a cloud of dust. Let's go. We get the bat now. <laughs> and Jimmy's a, Jimmy's a good golfer. I've taught him for years. Jimmy's the kind of guy, Ted, who could shoot 40, but he could also shoot 50, you know, for nine holes. So yeah. we're always working on getting him under 40. That's always my goal. Jimmy, great to hear from you. What can I help you with? You got anything oh, on man, your game? It's, that... been, uh, it's been so, so you got to know a couple things. I mean, we're uh you got to go help me. We got to work on short game when I go see you. We got to we got to do a couple things. You know, I'm I'm right there, man. I'm like 41, 43. I'm right. I'm knocking on the door, but uh, something's just a little bit off. And I, you know, just with you, when you when you see me, you go, oh Jimmy, do this, do this, and it's within five minutes, it's fixed. And I go, why don't you come here a week <laughs> earlier? What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a good story about Jimmy's swing, Ted. When I met Jim, well, forget when I met him. I've known him since yeah. I'm, we went kindergarten yeah. through twelfth grade together. But when he first started taking lessons. I came up to my hometown in, it's got to be 20 years ago to start teaching. Oh, yeah, you know, I would break, ago, man. I, yeah, I'd come up in the summer, and I think he saw me on TV, and he said, oh, my God, Barry's in town. And did. Jimmy was a very short-hitting slicer. I mean, had nothing. Mm. Oh, and it was brutal. <laughs> and I changed his grip. Brutal. I taught him, taught him how to grip it so he could draw the ball, taught him how to stand to it so he could draw the ball. And he picked up all kinds of power, and his whole game changed, you know, and Jimmy was a real short slicer of the ball, and I'm just not a fan of that. You know that, Ted. And no. mm-hmm. so I gave him a little yep. stronger grip. I, gave, I taught him how to aim, taught him where to play the ball, and most of all, taught him how to swing through the ball to his finish. Jimmy was kind of like didn't use his legs very well, didn't have much balance, and those are the kind of things to this day, am I right, Jim, that we still work on? Oh, my God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what a huge difference. <laughs> Absolutely, Jimmy. Let me Jimmy, let me ask you. Yeah, sure. Let me sure. ask you, Jimmy, a real quick question here. Um, do you how much time each week do you dedicate to practice on average? Uh, it depends on the week, but for the most part, 
you know, I go um, it's it's I go twice a week to range. I play once a week, sometimes twice a week. So it's got to be at least two hours, two and a half hours. I try to practice. You know, I got that in my brain a long time ago. Uh, upstate mm-hmm. New York, the summers are short. If you want to play good, you got to put the time <laughs> in it. You just yep. do. That I mean, is some true. people go. Some people go and they get lucky, and then they they, they get hot and cold, and like like you guys said earlier, you know, they get mad and they they do some dumb stuff and they don't put the time in, and they 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 expect to you know get out of work and go get changed and go play, and then and they haven't hit a golf ball in ten days, and they they shoot fifty three and they don't get why, and they're like, man, how are you so consistent every week? Because I go practice. Hey, he you does know? practice. Let, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you something yep. else here, and then Barry, Barry, I want you to jump in. There's a reason why sure. I'm asking the questions I'm asking. So, what part of your game, Jimmy, do you think is inhibiting you from breaking that 42, 43, 41 yeah. barrier? What part of your game is it? Is it your chipping that's that's falling a little bit short? Is your putting, uh, pitching? What is it that specifically do you think is your weak part right now? So right now. Right now, it's uh, for whatever reason, it's it's my pitching and it's my putting that, that's let me down. You know, I can get. I mean, thanks to him, I can just I can just crush it off the tee. So, you know, <laughs> you hit a decent you hit a decent drive, and now you don't you don't have to hit a super long iron into the green. You know, you could go hit a you could go hit a nine iron a wedge or something, and now say okay, so let's get it let's get it close. Well, the, the, what used to be, you know, ten, twelve, fourteen feet now twenty six feet, thirty feet. What's wrong? Right. And, and that's what's bugging me and now it's like okay now you got to figure this out and get it dialed in so your your putt's a lot closer okay so barry here's the reason why yeah here's here's what i wanted to here's the reason why barry asked him the questions that i did so now Mm -hmm. he's he's isolated that his putting and his pitching's letting him down so until you get together and see with him he says he's out there he's spending lots of time practicing let's dial him in on some things specifically that he can be practicing now before he gets to yes. see you. What are some things based on what he just now told you give, that you can get him practicing? Sure. Knowing Jimmy, I know what he's probably doing, but I'll just give a generic tip for this as well. Most people sure. that struggle with 30, 50, 70, 90-yard golf shots, you know, less than full swings, those touch shots that you've got to be good at, most of them, they don't set up perfectly for it. They don't play the ball in the middle of their stance. They'll get it back. They'll get it forward. But way worse than that, they're all long to short. They make long backswings, and they quit on the ball and finish short. I like to teach Mm -hmm. Jimmy short to long. I stole that from Dave Peltz, Phil Nicholson's teacher, when I worked for him. And I'm really big on short back, long through, so there's an acceleration to the finish. I can picture what Jim's doing because, you know, I teach him a lot. He's a left-hander, and Jimmy will make a big backswing, and he'll decelerate a little, and he tends to chunk or thin them. And he he can't hit it 35 yards, 50 yards. So I know that's what we're going to work on. Maybe his grip pressure, sometimes he might squeeze it a little tight, Ted. You know, he, Jim's, a straight, mm-hmm. Jim's a guy like me. He's played athletics his whole life. His hands could get a little tight on the golf club. And then for his putting, gosh, usually when I hear people that are struggling with putting, what I hear in my head is his distance control is poor. That's what I hear that he can't lag it up to two feet from 30 feet regularly. He's leaving seven feet and eight feet. So the first thing I'd probably work with Jimmy on is distance control. I'd give him a drill to do where I'll put a, I'll put a club three feet behind the hole uphill, three feet behind the hole downhill, and we'll separate, you know, 30 feet between holes. And I'm just say, Jimmy, let's hit some putts that if it doesn't go in, it stops 18 inches by the hole. It doesn't reach that golf club, but you're not leaving it short. And 
that can help people work on their distance control. And with short putting, movement kills. I see people that miss short putts. They're always moving. Their eyes are moving to see the result too early. It's like I always used to tell Carly, you know, you're taking two looks at the hole, and then you're rolling it, and you're not moving a muscle till you hear it rattle into the hole. She was great at that. Jimmy's probably got a little fear there, and he's moving around yeah. on it. I'm just guessing. And, you know, I know his game, mm-hmm. so that helps. But uh, generically, that would help every one of our listeners right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy, thank you very much for, yeah. for calling in. We've got a, oh we've God, got yeah. somebody else here on the line, and, yep, and I want absolutely. to bring them on and give them a chance uh, Great uh, talking with you, Jimmy. On, but, Oh yeah, man. Gus, I'll see you. Uh, I'll send you a text, and we'll uh, we'll go start okay, up buddy. next week, man. We'll you do got it. it. Hey, man, thank you. Let me have you on air, man. And uh, as always, man, good talk to you. You're the best. All right, thanks, Jimmy. Jimmy. Talk to you soon. Yep, me too, man. All right, man. Thanks. All right, uh, let me bring on the next caller, and uh, we'll continue the conversation. All right. Good evening, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. You're on here with Barry Goldstein. Do you have a question for Barry? Hi, Barry. Yeah, I do. It's Anna. How are you? Anna. Anna Banks. How are you? How are you and Mike? Good. We're good. And your beautiful daughter, Addie. I'm lucky enough, Ted, to teach their whole family. And these are great people. So I'm a lucky guy because they love golf. So, So, Anna, what's your your question? Yeah, what's your question for Barry? Go ahead. My question, all right, my question is your best piece of advice when you're in that 100-yard area, that's that's where things start to get a little ugly for me. Okay, so, let me great great drive, great second hit off my amazing new hybrid and then <laughs> I'm 100 that. yards away from the hole and it goes sour. Okay. So here's what I'm going to First of all, what club do you hit from 100 yards, Anna? What is the club selection? Uh usually like my 8 or 9. Okay. First thing I'll say about Anna is she's been playing about a year and she's doing remarkably well, Ted. I mean, this was a begin a year mm-hmm. ago. She hadn't even ever swung really a golf club and she just sunk a 30 foot birdie. You know, she's, she's doing really well. Um, Anna, what I would say to you when you're hitting eight and nine irons, a large part of the reason you battle that golf shot is the eight and nine iron are shorter than your driver and your hybrid. And they're very much meant for a descending blow. So the first thing I would say to you is to get the ball dead center in your stance Make sure it's not forward. Make sure it's not back. Get it dead center in your stance. The second thing I would say to you is to keep your backswing under control, not reaching for a ton of power going back with an 8-iron. We want you to accelerate and swing to a full finish, yet make a divot. I want you to get better, Anna. You've got to get better at striking down with those 8-irons and 9-irons, and that's when you're going to fall in love with them, you know, she got this new hybrid, Ted, because she was my mm. student of the year last year. I just love her. And, like, I just wanted her to have an easy club to hit off the ground. So, you know, I called up Callaway. They sent a beautiful hybrid to me. I said, give me the easiest club for a woman to hit off the ground. And they sent me their hybrid, and she loves it. Well, I got to get her to mm. love her 8-iron and 9-iron and wedge as much as she yeah. loves her hybrid, you know. And <laughs> I think Anna is a very – she's coordinated. She's very typical of a woman, a lot of women in the beginning – Striking down is something that takes them a while to learn, Ted. Have you ever noticed that? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes, I had, and a sister, yeah, I had a sister. Sorry, I had a sister who was, who was like that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so Anna's the kind of girl, you put it on a tee, she cranks it. The hybrid, she's learned how to crank. The irons are much more of a precise club, Anna. You know, they're, the sweet spot's smaller on an 8-iron than it is on your driver face. And it's got to be more of a precise swing. So 
thinking less power going back. I think a lot of people that struggle with their irons, Anna and Ted, are trying to hit it hard on their backswing. The goal of an iron, Anna, is to hit it a particular distance. If your eight iron goes 100 yards, we don't want to hit 130. We want to hit it 100. So having a controlled backswing with a downward blow to a good balance finish is a really good way to get good with your irons. And it's funny. I, I always told Anna one day she's going to call into the golf channel when I'm on TV. And I'm so glad you called tonight, Anna, and I'm so happy that you're playing golf. And today's Anna's birthday, as a matter of fact, Ted, so wish her a happy well, birthday. Uh, happy birthday, Anna, and uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask your age because I know that's one thing you don't ask a woman is what her age is. So I won't do that. She's but, young. uh, younger than Barry. She's young. <laughs> younger than Barry. Oh no! I'm gonna charge you double next lesson now, Anna. That's okay. So, I'll pay it. Uh, you know, Ted. Truth is, her husband and her are really getting into golf in the last year. They both joined their local club. Their daughter is playing on the high school team. So this is a, we need more golfers like Anna and Mike and Addie. They love it. They're new to the game, and they're seeing that it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I just love Anna and her whole family. She's just, they're just great people. And golf, I think golf needs more people like that. You know, it's a husband, a wife, mm-hmm. and a 13. Is, Anna, is Addie 13? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so she's a young girl. We need more of that, Ted, you know. And Anna yeah. just loves it. Anna loves it. And she's a smart girl, Ted. She takes lessons. She took them early in her career, and it's made her a decent golfer. A lot of people don't do that, and they never get adequate at golf. So my tip of the day, Anna, keep your backswing a little more controlled and think about accelerating on your downswing with a divot to a balanced finish or at least a downward blow. You don't have to tear up the grass, but you've got to strike down on it. Okay. Thank you. Say hello to your whole family, Anna. You're the best. I will. Well, Anna, well, Anna, happy birthday again, and thank you very much for uh, uh, calling in this evening and and uh, and asking your question to Barry. And much continued success, and welcome to the club. No pun intended. Um, but um, <laughs> golf is a great game. It's definitely a game for life, and uh, you'll you'll be able yes. to do it well into your to your golden years. And it's nice. Um, you know, I, I predict that the future of golf is going to be family golf. I really believe that. Agreed. I think more and more Agreed. families. Yeah. And I think this is what's really going to propel golf into the generations coming ahead. Because, you know, when I grew up, Barry, you were probably very much the same. You know, our fathers taught us, you know, our parent taught us. And, um, you know, but there were many out there that maybe didn't have a, a parent that was into golf, so they didn't get exposed to it the same way. So the fact that you guys are doing it as a family – I think yes. is is great because that's something you can do on. There's something else you can do when you go on vacations together. You can yep. throw the clubs in there as well, or you can rent them exactly. if you had to. And you listen guys to this. Have hey, listen fun. to this, Ted. Yep. Anna's the kind of girl. All right, so I was just reading, and I play in all. I've played in so many tournaments in my life, but there's one tournament I've been waiting for down the road. And now that Carly's marrying Cameron, as you heard, if mm-hmm. Anna was, I wish I was related to Anna. I would take her to Pebble Beach because there's a family tournament in Pebble Beach, a pro and three family members. Well, I've got two family members locked up in Carly and Cameron. Anna would eat mm-hmm. that up because she's never been anywhere. She's never played a course like that. She plays her local country club here, which is a nice place. But, Anna, your eyes would light up if you saw that place. It's like the mo- yep. when you're bored, Anna, take a look at Pebble Beach Golf Links in California. I got engaged there. It's an incredible yep. piece of land. You would freaking love it. You and Mike one day should go there. Yep. All right. I'm going to yep. tell him. I agree. I, 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 take me there. <laughs> and tell him, it, tell him Barry's going to 
Barry's Barry's going to pay for it too, so you're you got no excuses. <laughs> Barry's going to oh, send you the exactly. airplane. Exactly. Probably could pay for it if we stopped going to lessons. <laughs> yeah, right. They keep taking lessons, and they're very generous. And you know what? They're just a great family. Anna's awesome. I'm smiling the whole time I'm talking to her right now. She's a great girl. Let me say one more thing, well, Anna, before we let you go. The best. Thank yeah, you. I, Anna. I couldn't agree more. Yep. Let me say one final Can thing. If you haven't had the op- if you haven't had the opportunity, Anna, yet to do so. Um, go to a professional event. If there's one up in your area in the next little while or close by, go as a family. If you've never seen one, it's much different than on TV. It's a great experience. You'd really think you love golf now. You'll love it even more if you go to an LPGA or a PGA event in your local area. I strongly uh, urge you guys to go and do it. It's well worth the money. Anna Anna has spoken to my student Haley Moore on the phone. Haley, she played in the U.S. Open today. I haven't looked at the scores yet. But she's out in San Francisco playing in the Women's U.S. Open. One day, Anna and I were just talking about her, and Anna's the kind of girl, she just supports people. Anna's a supporter of people. She's a good person. So we called Haley on the phone. She answered, and I said, listen, I have a woman here. Her name's Anna Banks, and she just admires you, Haley. And they talked for five minutes, you know, and Haley loves that. She freaking loved it, yep. you know. And yep. I, I just – Anna's the kind of girl that just – she supports people. And so she was just telling Haley she admired her and – you know Haley's story. You've seen her, and she's a yeah. got a unique story, you know. And um, you remember that Anna when we called her on the driving yeah. range? Yeah. Yeah. She's in the U.S. Open today, Anna. Hope she's hopefully she played good. She yeah. I wish well, I Anna, knew Anna when. For... Let me do one other Go thing, ahead. Ted. I wish I knew Anna when Carly played in the U.S. Amateur down on Long Island a few summers ago. I had like tons of friends from this area come down to support us. Her, you know, I was her caddy, but to support us. And I wish I knew Anna then because Anna would have loved that. It is the 164 best amateurs in the country, Anna, playing in Long Island, New York. You would have loved it. All girls that you would admire. Yeah. Well, go have a good night. Happiest of birthdays to you. Have a great day and a great year. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Happy birthday, Anna. All right. Bye-bye. You know, it's interesting, you know, when you hear, Barry, somebody like that that's relatively new to the game. Um, and especially somebody that's getting in a little bit later in life. You know, she didn't get into it as a young child that, you know, like Carly did or, you know, you and I did. They're getting a little bit later, but yet they still have that passion and that enthusiasm to really, um, an excitement to want to get out there. And it doesn't matter how good you are or not. The fact that there's, just like we talked about earlier with Carly, is, you know, when you have that energy and that, you know, that mindset, you know, you can take on just about anything. And Anna's it, it a, sounds, she's a you're right. right. She's a successful businesswoman. Her and her husband are successful business people, and it's great for them to be in the golf because now they're playing in all the, the captain and mates, you know, the all the team events yep. they're playing in, and they love it. And I agree with what you just said 100%. She's hungry and she loves it. So to teach her is exciting, you know. When you look back, because uh, I, I know you've been teaching for many years, when you look back. What is it that – and I know you're, you're – and I, when I say this, let me preface this because I don't want, to, want it to come out the wrong way. Is, you know, we don't sure. like to feel pr- proud in, in the sense of – in a, you know, I mean in a humble way when I say pride. Um, but do – what are you most proud of besides Carly, obviously, but of your <laughs> career? What is, it, what is it that you try to – really instill with your students as a general rule? That's, what was the sort of the, an the, awesome the question. 
That's the ultimate question. All right. Besides Carly, let's leave Carly out of this. Yes, um, that's right. I just got a text yesterday from this woman that I teach. She goes, Barry, I always feel like if I could touch one person in my life, my life's been successful. You touched thousands. And I just thought to myself, wow, what a nice comment that is. And you know, I look back, I think the thing I'm most proud of, golf teaches people how to be decent human beings. And I play by the rules with golf. You know, I do everything by the rules with golf. And I just feel like I've taught people how to play the game correctly. And it leads to a certain kind of this word I'm looking for. A good person usually will follow. You know, I teach a lot of juniors that become Division I college players. I think I've taught over 120 Division I college scholarship players. You know, so like to help them, you know, to give somebody that gift. Like I remember when somebody gave me a $1,000 gift card as a present. And I said, wow, that's so generous. They said, you know, you got our daughter a $200,000 scholarship. This is the least we could do. Or, or like I remember Hannah Liner, who I teach, her parents gave me this very expensive iPad. And they said, Barry, there's no way she gets that scholarship without you. So those might be right. the things I'm most proud of, you know, aside from – I mean, Carly, I'm just immensely proud of because she's such a great person, such a great player. But mm. just the kind of, you know, you, you, teach, you meet a kid at age 11 or 10, and they go on to get a full scholarship to play, let's just say, for Florida State University or with Carly LSU or, you know, I've got them all over the country, you know, and you watch them sign and they invite you to their signing. And, you know, I, I'm not the easiest crier, but my gosh, you blink and you can feel tears <laughs> building up because... I know that without me, that wasn't really probably going to happen, you know, and right. it's just a really rewarding feeling to, to see that, you know, and then the respect they have for you, they get out of college, they're out in the real world, I bump into them, and they still have that ultimate respect for you because you gave them something that money can't buy, you know? You know, let me just add something here um, about you, Barry, that I've noticed for many, many years, you know, obviously we mm-hmm. uh, follow one another on, on social media, we met face to face. You were actually what's really yep. kind of in, yeah at the PGA show back a number of years ago. What's really interesting that a lot of people don't know, and I've mentioned some things similar to this, um, but you know I've obviously, as we talked about uh, earlier, you know I've been doing this now for nine years on Golf Talk Live, and I won't say everyone, but the majority of people that I've had on here, I have never actually met face to face. Wow. I can't. Yeah, I believe you were the first person, the first actual guest that I'd ever had on the show. You weren't the actual first guest I had on, but you were the first one that I'd actually ever met face-to-face wow. um, back those years ago. Uh, and I remember that down at the PGA show. In and, Orlando, um, yep. In, in Orlando, yeah. you came yep. up to me. I, I was getting yep. paid to represent a, a putting company, and I was standing in their yep. booth, and tons of people were coming up, and you said, Barry, I'm Ted, and you came right up to me, and I just – we just liked each other immediately. We just, you know, you had that personality that was impossible to not like, and we spoke for a good several minutes, and then it just became where we stayed friends, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and what's always impressed me most, um, even above and beyond your prowess in, in golf, is I've noticed, and I want to mention this on air because this is something that, I, that you should be proud of. One of the things that always has impressed me about you is, you know, I read a lot of your your posts and things on social media, and you know, you always put up these stories of people outside of golf that you've met somewhere, a store, somebody in, in you know, maybe that's down <laughs> and out, is having a tough time, and you share <coughs> these stories. Excuse me, <coughs> pardon me, uh, of people that you've done some sort of act of kindness who are obviously very, very grateful. And Thanks, that, to Ted. me, really ep- epitomizes 
what we need more of in this world today is people like that. So wow. if Thanks, I was Ted. if I if I was to sum up something about you and and again I take no nothing away from what your ability is as a golf professional, but that is pales in comparison to what you do uh, as a human you. being. Thank you, Ted. I don't know what it is, but when I see somebody that's a little down on their luck, I just feel like it's my job to help them, you know, and they, I, you know, the healthy people like me, I'm so healthy. Like God's just been really nice to me. So when I see somebody that is the other way, it just, it makes me stop and want to kind of help them if you know what I mean. And so like some of my closest people in my life are people that had to overcome stuff, you know, and, and then your friends for life, when you help them, when they're down, you're literally their friend for life because they never forget that, you know, and, Thanks. Right. Yeah, that's nice of you to notice that. I, I, I don't think I do it on purpose. I just think it kind of – if I'm walking and I see 10 healthy guys and then there's the guy in the back with a limp, something about that guy makes me want to help his golf game. You know what I mean? Or yeah. help him out in life, well, you know? It, it, right, and that just uh, is a testament to your character as a human being because, like I said, there are lots of people – you know, you and I are very fortunate. You know, we, we've got good yes. health and – you know, we've, we've had many blessings throughout our lives yes, and there's those that are out much. there that are less fortunate. And a lot of people would turn a blind eye. A lot of people would look the other way and just keep walking or not. But you, uh, it, it always has impressed me and I always enjoy and I, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a few I've missed, but I, I try to read them when I see them coming, I try to read each and every one of them and they're very, very inspirational. And, you know, I understand Thanks, why Jeff. when people, Thank people you. call in tonight and speak so fondly of you as a person it's not really so much just about the golf side of things that they're talking about. They're talking about you as a human being. That's why they have wow. the admiration. Thank you. In that That's incredibly you. kind. You know, truth is, Ted, all three of those people that called in, I can't say anything but great things about it. They're people that I just really care about. And, you know, golf's just my profession. You know, Ted, it's what I do all right. day. And when you're done with golf, the last thing I want to talk about at 10 o'clock at night is, is my golf career, you know? So right. that's probably why I post a lot of things that are not golf related. Cause you know, I'm inundated with golf all day long, every day. And I love it. It's, it's awesome, but it's kind of cool to have a life outside of golf. If you know what I mean? Yeah. You, yeah. You've got to do that. I mean, as much as we love the game, you've got to be able to do that. Yes. I want to ask, I want to ask you something uh, as we get close to, to wrapping up. God, it's hard to believe this hour is almost blown by. I know it um, flew by. Right. Let me let me ask you this question. You know, we we all have gone through that. You know, this pandemic last year, and and oh, yeah. golf really really had an uptick in in yes. people playing and people out there, which you know is something that golf has needed. Unfortunately, it went on the backs of a pandemic. What would you like to see? Because we've we've had not recently, but we've had in past times where there's been a bit of a surge in golf. And I'll be quite honest, I've been in the industry a long time too, and I've seen some times when we've blown it as an industry um, yes. and not really, you know, by, by just being stupid in our decisions. What For would sure. you think, what would you like to see happen? What would you like to see the industry do um, now that we've got new people that have maybe never played, maybe people like Anna that had never played the game before, that because of this pandemic came here? What do we got to do to keep them in the game and, and not scare them off or, or you know, or overwhelm yep. them with, with a lot of double speak and doing this and doing that? If you had the I microphone, what you do, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. I've got two thoughts. And, you know, I think the organization, the PGA of America, misses the boat so badly on this, it's not even funny. I think the first thing that golf has to be is fun. 
And if you don't yep. have a golf teacher or a golf role model that's not making it fun for you to learn, they're going to quit and they're going to take up something else, you know? So I see a lot of, and I don't mean this against anybody, but I see a lot of golf teaching that is flat out boring and not fun and yep. way over technical, way over scientific. And I think it turns people away. So I think first of all, no matter who the teacher is, you've got to make it fun for your students. You got to be stoked to get them stoked to love golf. And I think the second thing is, you know, we talked about Anna and her family. When I was 15, the only golf in this community that was being played where I grew up, it was mostly a stuffy country club game, you know, and that's changed a lot. I think it needs to change more in the fact that a daughter like Anna's daughter needs to feel comfortable playing. And, it, yep. you know, it, it can't be so stringent on the rules and the technicalities of the game that you take the fun out of it for a kid. For example, if she's on a high school team and the coaches pay no attention to these kids and they're, they're shooting 150s, it's going to take hours to play. That's not fun. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to teach the kids how to get a little bit capable of playing a little bit about the rules and let them have fun. And what I have found, I, I teach a ton of different people. I mean, Hey, I got a girl in the U S open this week and I'm teaching people that are brand new as well, you know, and what I have noticed, the people that stick with golf, it's fun for them. The day it yep. becomes not fun, they'll take something else up, Ted. And I think that our industry in general has a way of making it not fun. And I'll never do that. Uh, that that'll, the last, I would get into another industry if it wasn't fun for me, you know? Right. And we've talked about something similar to this in the past, you and I, um, with, and, and again, listen, I'm all for technology. I know we've got to advance as human beings, and I understand the technology yep, and where yep. things are going. But you and I have talked about this, and I remember you shared a story um, the last time uh, where you were at an event, and there was a pro down at the end of the range you know, with all the latest equipment, but he was sitting there by himself, <laughs> and you walked up and had a conversation uh, with him, and, you know, how's it going kind of thing, and, you know, he wasn't yes. really too happy because nothing was going on. And, and the point is, um, you know, that, again, this equipment and technology is there certainly to help and can be a valuable tool, but if we get too yes. inundated with it, and and allow it to drive the industry completely. You're going to lose golfers. It, You'll lose golfers. Right. Yep. Exactly. And, and I'll tell you something. That, what I would that, like to see, mm -hmm. and, and I want to get your thoughts on this uh, again as we get close to, to closing here. Yep. I, I would like to all. see, and and instead of just building more and more and more golf courses, I'd like to see more what I would classify as a golf center. And what I mean by that is when I grew up, my father took me before I ever went to you know, what he used to call the big boys golf course, we went to a golf center that used to be just down the street and had a small nine hole course. It had a driving range, had some other things as well. And it was just Batting very, very basic. Is, yep. Yep. Right. Exactly. But I would like to see more of those spring up, especially in some of the bigger communities where land is, is expensive and, and could be very, better utilized yep. instead of just putting up all of these resort courses. And, and I mean, we've got to have those too, but because I think it, you know, there has to be a starting point for people to learn yeah. the game. And the last place that they're going to start is at a country club. Well, I'll tell because you what I did not... with my daughters. Tell me that this might be a good way to wrap up the show. What I did with my daughters when they were really little, I'm talking three and four, I'd take them out to the golf course. 
I would always let them play a hole and say, well, we got to go. And they would, daddy, can't we stay? I made them always want us to come back and stay longer. I would show them the yep. wildlife, the deer, the alligators. I made them hungry to come back, you know? And so I would, I would give them a hole. And then I'd say, girls, we got to go. Daddy, can't we stay? No, we got to go. Finally, by the time we're five <laughs> or six years old, we'd stay a lot longer, you know? But I right. think that's a good thing with parents is to make the kids ask you to go to the golf course. Yeah. I, I did that with yep. my daughters. They would say, Daddy, can we go over to the golf course? Sure, girls, let's go. You know, and look what it led to with uh, Aubrey is a good golfer. Carly became a world-class player. So, you know, it, it's a great family sport. I agree with what you said, Ted. And I know you got to yep. wrap up. I want to thank you for yep. having me and my daughter on. And we'll do it again sooner than later. And I can't wait to see the next issue of Golf Tips Magazine. You're doing great things, Ted. You should be very proud of yourself. Well, I appreciate it very much, and thank you, Barry, as always. And uh, that's uh, definitely some great advice, and I want to thank the callers as well uh, this yes. evening, if you're still listening, for calling in and, and asking uh, some questions of Barry and, and just uh, saying hello. I appreciate it. And, again, thank you to your daughter, uh, Carly, and much uh, continued success, and congratulations to both her and Cameron. I wish them both thank nothing you. but the best. And um, good luck, my friend, and we'll talk real soon. We'll see you soon, Ted. Thanks again. All right. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest and friend, Barry Goldstein, professional golfer out of Coral Springs, Florida. And uh, again, his lovely daughter, Carly, uh, joined us a little bit earlier on. And and uh, she got engaged and getting married a little bit later uh, in the year. In fact, September, as she mentioned. And uh, I wish her well. And uh, hopefully she'll uh, be out there and, and maybe be a little competitive again. But um, otherwise, uh, she's going to be set for, uh, for many, many happy years uh, down the road. All right. I want to also thank Brandon Stukesbury and Jamie Leno-Zimron for joining me earlier this evening on Coach's Corner. Thanks, guys, for doing a great job with tonight's panel discussion. And um, I will be back next week with another great panel and another great guest here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.